Blog Talk Radio. The following is a post time with Mike and Mike production. Trent McWicket is lonely on the lead. He's up by four. On the outside, don't tell me again, cutting into the margin. But it's McWicket four years later, back at the top of the sport. Homicide Hunter who sweeps past to the outside. Homicide Hunter trotting into the finish. It's Homicide Hunter who will hit the line. 148 and 4. The fastest trotter ever. Dewey did some good down the boulevard of broken dreams. Walker Meister coming at him. Walker Meister on the outside getting the best of him. Walker Meister in front. Gideon. Three wide, all bets off. They're at the top of the stretch. Rockin' Ron turns first in the Battle of Lake Erie. On the outside, bit of a legend. Rockin' Ron, bit of a legend. On the outside, bit of a legend. This year's battle champion, 23 and 1. Homeward bounding gold cup in soccer, 59. Somewhere, Pensy, rockin' in heaven. Rose Run Quest is there. Here is the French connection. The alerts have won it. Fine. Twinkle takes aim in the passing lane. Now Caviard Alley in full gear outside. Sharton started feeling. Caviard Alley all out. Sharton digging deep. Sharton's going to dig in here and get the win here. Sharton up on the front end. Then none shall pass for Tim Dietrich. You're tuned in to the official podcast of the Sport of Harness Racing Post Time with Mike and Mike with co-host Mike Carter. Foiled again! Hold on to win! Foiled again! Tough as nails! And Mike Bozich. The Iron Horse has cemented his legacy! That dial, you know, got another great rendition of Hope's Time with Mike and Mike presented by the United States Trotting Association in Bet America, live from the USDA studios in Columbus, Ohio. And I'll tell you what, it is, it, it's a miracle. Mike Bozich returned to work today. I can't believe it. No, I'm just kidding. Mike, uh, hopefully uh, hopefully you enjoyed uh, enjoyed the day off. Uh, special thanks out to Wendy Ross, uh, my colleague at the USTA, for uh, stepping up to the plate. And uh, listen, I think we, you know, most announcers have a pinch hitter or a backup that they use on a regular basis, you know, if they're sick or what have you. I think we found our uh, found our backup, at least for now. Yeah, no question. Wendy did a fantastic job, and uh, so certainly kudos to her. But, you know, I really had a legitimate excuse for my absence <laughs> last Thursday, and a completely legitimate excuse. I uh, was off to Bedford. You know, we yeah. talked about Bedford, Pennsylvania back at last time you were here, but it was the uh, the Fair Awards, and uh, I'll tell you what, really, really cool time, good time uh, hanging out with the folks in the PHHA, so special thanks to them. What a beautiful area. If you haven't had a chance to make it, it's kind of like a, a resort-type area um, where there's a lot of wildlife. Um, you know, the there's a lot of skiing if you're into that kind of stuff, a lot of trails. You know, it was a little cold, and it was a little snowy. 
We almost got snowed in there, but we didn't. We didn't get it as bad as they predicted. I think you guys got a brunt of the snow that we were supposed to get. Yeah, we got about a foot and a half, Mike. And uh, listen, I, I hear great things about Bedford, except uh, you can't call 911 if you need some help. So that, you that's can't, well, you can't call anybody, well, at least on my cell phone. You, can, you can't call anybody up there. If you ever get kidnapped in Bedford, you are stuck, my friend. There is that's, you're not getting out. Yeah, it's in the middle of nowhere. But what you know what? It's it's a beautiful place, and it's uh, it, it was a great time, and uh, you know, I had a chance to meet a lot of great award winners. You know, as announcers, Mike. We a lot of times we certainly know the names, but we don't know a lot of the faces. Like you know, you could be in a room with like forty or fifty horsemen or horsewomen, and you know, you know every one of their names, but you might know five of them by their face. You know, so so I, I feel kind of like I, I feel you know I feel kind of strange like going up to say, like, oh, I'm like Bozich. What's your name? Well, you don't know me. <laughs> Right. Well, well, here's the thing. As announcers were like that, and it's funny because about a month or so ago, I was watching a um, a short little documentary thing on Trevor Denman, uh, who used to be the announcer at Santa Anita Park. And the guy who was narrating it said, you know, he's almost like Morgan Freeman. You would know his voice if you heard it, but you may not know him if he was standing right in front of you. And that's kind of how, you know, some of the some of the trainers and drivers and things are, you know, we see, we talk to these guys on a weekly basis. We know that we talk to Ron Burke and all these guys all the time, but when you see him in person, you're like, okay, who, who's who now? I, I got to remember who's who and you know, where's what and things of that sort. So, you know, it, it's just one of those things. I get so many people that they, uh, you know, because they, they hear my voice, they hear me announce and they hear us on post time with Mike and Mike, and then they finally meet me for the first time and, they're like, uh, okay, well, where's the guy with the voice? Because you, you know, <laughs> no offense, but you look like kind of like a tall, skinny, older guy, not a, you know, short, fat, younger guy. <laughs> wow. Well, 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 no, that's what it is. That's what it is. But, and the reason is, the reason is, the reason is, is because. You know, and you do it too. Everybody does it. Every announcer does it. Goes into that kind of radio announcerish voice, and a lot of times it doesn't sound like their regular voice. I don't know though. You 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 sound pretty. You know, you sound pretty much the same anytime I talk to you. You know, when we when we leave for if you've never been around Mike like outside of racing, if you leave from a red light, as soon as the light turns green, he goes there off in racing, and <laughs> <laughs> so it's just one of those things. <laughs> yeah, ra- racing's everywhere. Yeah, well, when you go up to a pump and uh, you know, instead of saying let me have twenty on the f- on five, you go let me have twenty to win on five. I've done that a couple I've times. That. I have done that. That I have done, uh, especially right outside uh, in Northfield Park. They've got the uh, gas station now, and uh, so you go out and you know, you can I get twenty to win on the five? And the guy will look at you like you're crazy. And you're like, oh well, whoops. <laughs> but, uh, anyways. That's enough banter. That's enough fun. No, I'm just kidding. We got a great show lined up for you, for everybody uh, this morning. And Mike, we're going to talk to Sheila Napier, who uh, is the 2018 Ushua Caretaker of the Year, presented by Hard Rock Roxino Northfield Park. This is an amazing award uh, that uh, Northfield Park and Ushua gives away each and every year kind of honoring some of the top caretakers and even some of the unknowns um, in the sport of harness racing. Uh, Sheila currently works for trader Chris Beaver, uh, who races on the Ohio Sire Stakes circuit. So I'm interested to hear what Sheila has to say. Uh, you know, listen, the the Ohio people are taking it down this year. Uh, we're pretty excited about that. 
Yeah, Ohio racing has really just exploded over the past uh, six, seven years. Really good racing there. And, uh, you know, and, and by the way, I'm, you're going to have to put a buzzer on me because I, over under three times I call her Shelly. Over under three times. That I'm going to try and guess it, Karen. I don't know which one's right. So, you know. But, but Sheila Napier is going to join us. Plus, Mike, uh, actually, we've got four newbies on the show. All four yeah. of our guests here today are making their post time with Mike and Mike debut, including a pair of uh, great announcers, Mike Peter Kleinhans, who was the first ever announcer at Hoosier Park. As a matter of fact, Mike, he was one of the first announcers that I made contact with trying to get into the business. So, uh, you know, he helped me out quite a bit. So Pete's going to join us. Plus, uh, Robin Burns, who has just been everywhere. I mean, he calls Harness, calls Thoroughbreds. I believe he calls Thoroughbreds at Presque Isle right now as we speak, right? Yeah, he's the current announcer at Presque Isle Downs, and I'll tell you, I, I get excited for a lot of interviews. I'm really excited for this one. I'm interested to see what he has to say about his career because he has literally been everywhere. But, Mike, there's a call I want to ask him about um, from Buffalo Raceway that showed up on America's Funniest Home Videos, and we'll talk about that when we talk to Robin a little bit later on. If it's the snow call, I just want to prepare you. That's Pete Szymanski. If it's oh, If it's the no. same call that I'm no. thinking of. But oh, but I think is. but but here's the but here's the thing though, I don't know if well I don't know because I don't know if that was right before Robin or right after Robin or maybe during Robin maybe people was filling at that point I don't know but anyway Robin's got a lot of great calls and he's been all over the place and now he's a member of the California Hall of Fame they had a real nice doing at Cal Expo there last weekend for him so we're gonna talk to him plus Mike we're gonna have to get our pencils sharpened and uh, because we're taking notes when. One of the all-time handicapping greats of the sport of harness racing, Bob Pandolfo, joins us on the program around 11.20, 11.25. And Bob Mike has written plenty of books about handicapping the sport of harness racing. And uh, he also uh, is the uh, founder of the uh, Diamond System. A lot of great stuff from uh, Bob Pandolfo throughout the years in the sport of harness racing. So certainly excited about uh, that. Whenever we can talk handicapping, Mike, hey, we love it. Listen, you might have to explain the diamond system because I haven't been able to afford a diamond in about 61 years. So, uh, you know, <laughs> but uh, I'm interested. I'm interested to have Bob on and talk to him a little bit. You know, I get to interact with him some at the USTA um, when we do um, when he sends his picks and things in. So I'm interested to see uh, what he has to say about uh, handicapping uh, some of the big races. And you know, speaking of handicapping, Mike, and we're a harness show, but this time last year. We were talking about the Pegasus World Cup Invitational with Pete Aiello, and that's coming up this Saturday. Uh, you know, a fantastic card of racing uh, out there. So, you know, lots of fun stuff coming up this weekend. Yeah, no question. It's a it's a very good weekend of racing. Real quick, Mike, before we get to Pete Kleinans in our first time out, just want to mention a couple of things. First of all, congrats to one of the all-time great drivers uh, in the sport of harness racing last night, getting his 10,000th win in the very last race at Pompano, Wally Hennessy. Wally's been around for a long time, and is it's like he gets better with age. He still basically owns Pompano Park. Four, five, six wins a night there. So congratulations to Wally for getting his 10,000th win. And, uh, Mike, there is a new Pennsylvania horse racing website. Did you see this? You know, I haven't looked at it, but I heard that it existed. Um, actually, as I was going through some of the news articles this morning, uh, I saw it, and I, I'm interested to kind of check it out and play around with it and see what it's all about. 
penhorseracing.com. And basically, and, and, and I understand what they're doing. They're, they're trying to kind of get everything into one umbrella as far as horse racing goes. You know, kind of like a, maybe like a harness racing fan zone for, you know, the entire harness racing world. Maybe they're trying to do something like that for the sport of Pennsylvania. So anyway, that is on the front page of the USTA website. So if you want to check it out, it's uh, Pen horseracing.com so it'll be interesting to see uh, how that goes and the success of that well anyway we're going to get this show on the road but we come back our first guest is well-known announcer and artiste mike he uh, he's put out an album he's a, a very fine uh, singer songwriter and uh, musician pete kleinhans he'll be joining us after the timeout on post time with mike and mike presented by bet america the usta at Bet America, we don't do promotions only for new players. As a regular player at BetAmerica.com, you can take advantage of several promotions each week. Go to BetAmerica.com slash extra and visit our promotions calendar and find out how you can get double wager reward points on our featured tracks. It's just another reason why it's time to play the Bet America way. New Vocations Resource Adoption Program. Retrain. Rehab. Rehome. New Vocations focuses on adoption as the optimal solution for the large numbers of horses that leave the track each year. The program provides rehabilitation and transitional training to prepare the horses for a productive life beyond racing. Each horse is evaluated for temperament, soundness, and suitability to help ensure a successful adoptive match. New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program, celebrating 25 years and over 6,000 horses placed. Learn more at newvocations.org. Attention all breeding funds. Did you know Pacing for the Cure has a stud fee for scooter program? Your stud fee donations will help those living with MS with severe mobility limitations obtain a scooter and be able to continue to enjoy their love of harness racing. Contact Jeff at pacingforthecure.org if you'd like to make a donation. Mike? In case you haven't noticed, Mr. Bill G. has begun pacing for the cure for multiple sclerosis. Join in on the fun and weekly contest on Facebook to guess where he will place in each race. Like and share our page. Great prizes available for the lucky winners. Better yet, come out to the racetrack and watch him race live. Let's start a Mr. Bill G. fan club and start blogging on the journey page of the pacingforthecure.org website. Once again, that's pacingforthecure.org. On this edition of Post Time with Mike, Mike presented by Bet America, Mike Carter alongside of Mike Bozich, also presented by the United States Trotting Association. And Mike, I tell you what, there's a, a I, I know a good amount of musicians, I know a good amount of announcers, but I only know a few that are able to do both. Uh, obviously, James Witherite being one of them. But we're about to talk to Peter Kleinhands, and I tell you, what a talented individual he is, and uh, you know, should be a fun little, uh, fun little spot. Yeah, if you haven't had a chance to check out, and, and pretty much I think the harness racing world is pretty familiar with his announcing. A couple of weeks ago, he announced that the Meadowlands had just did a bang-up job, by the way. Uh, first announcer ever at Hoosier Park. But if you're not familiar with his music, go to PeterKleinhands.com. He's got uh, he's got one album out, Something's Not Right, I believe. And I'm going to bring Peter in here because I don't want to misrepresent. But Fake News is not an album because there's only that's a, a song, right? <laughs> 
is a single that I put out because that was right when that term was starting to blow up. And I'd want, I'd already written the song, but I felt like I hated to be behind the curve on the phrase fake news because the first time I heard it, I wrote the song like the next day. So I felt like I better release that before it becomes old news. So, yeah, yeah well, that's, that's, that's going to be on the next album, though. <laughs> okay, so we got a single off fake news. Plus, you've got the something's not right, which is a full album, and that's uh, let's see, five, six, seven. Eight. It looks like eleven great songs on there, and I had a chance to hear a couple, heard a couple of them. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's good stuff, my friend. So you you're you're announcing thing. You've got the uh, I know you're in horse ownership. You've got the music thing. So uh, you, you're you're staying busy, my friend. I am, yeah. Now it's my life is sort of a patchwork of, of all these little things. I'm also a single dad, so got a lot on my plate uh, running around, but I'm enjoying all of it. And uh, uh, also still driving some in the uh, amateur races, the North America Drivers Association races and the GSY. And you know, I, I love harness racing. I'm not uh, full time the way I used to be. It was just impossible when I couldn't train at the Meadowlands anymore. Uh, when they closed their barn area, but I still love the sport, and uh, you know I'm always trying to participate whenever I can. Before we kind of dive into your harness racing career, talk to us a little bit about your music career. Uh, kind of how did that thing get started, and uh, what brought your interest into the musical world? Well, you know, I'd always play the piano just a little bit as a kid. Not really. Uh, I never really learned to read music all that well, but I really enjoyed creating my own stuff and chords and playing around with it. I never thought it would be something I'd do professionally in any way. Uh, but then after they closed the barn area at the Meadowlands and I decided, uh, you know, my kids are in school in New York and I just couldn't get out to a training center. I had to find some new passion, some new creative outlet for, for the, the side of me that just, you know, loves to create. I, I used to be a poetry major, so I, it all sort of connected. I started taking guitar lessons and, uh, Never thought I'd actually put out an album, but just kept getting a little better and a little better and a little better. And then finally, I realized I had 11 decent songs. So why not? Uh, why not put them out? Yeah, and you've got a show coming up uh, that we were talking about. Uh, I believe it's February 7th. Right. Yeah, that's a Thursday uh, at the Bitter End in New York. So yeah, if anybody wants to come out, I could use all all the support I could get. I'm actually uh, debuting a song about a horse this time because I felt like. You know, these two lives of mine were so separated. How could I not write a song honoring the animal that we all love, you know, that we're all in this because of the horse? So I sort of I wrote a, a tale of this horse's life, and uh, that'll be in that set. Yeah, that sounds interesting. So once again, before we let you go, the last thing we'll do is we'll make sure we give that uh, show a good plug as far as uh, time and location and so forth. But let's talk a little bit about harness racing. You were in uh, Indiana since day one, Hoosier Park. Uh, I remember it well, and uh, you know you were kind of there before slots. And tell us about that experience. Tell us about day one at uh, Hoosier Park and how that all came about. It was a wonderful experience. I was working at the Meadows, uh, you know, in Pennsylvania as a co uh, color commentator along with Roger Houston. And then I got a call that, uh, you know, they were looking for announcers at Hoosier Park, which was a brand new track. And uh, I, it seemed like the absolute perfect uh, situation because I got to work nine months out of the year. I got to announce all the races and also do all the analysis on, on television and sort of get to be the uh, front person for the track. So it was a, a wonderful experience. And Rick Moore, who's still on there at, at Hoosier Park, uh, was very supportive. And uh, you know, he was my boss at the time. They've changed ownership, but he stayed on. And uh, just great people out there. And I really, the, 
the culture shock of moving to the Midwest was nothing bad at all. I really enjoyed being out there. And I, I went to law school in Michigan afterwards because I just enjoyed the Midwest. And I came back to New York and it is my hometown. I love New York, but uh, I have to say I love being out in the Midwest as well. Now, Pete, uh, you know, as an announcer, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, how in the world did you get involved with calling races? What was the, you know, what was the trigger for you? You know, how did you wind up at the racetrack? And, of course, we all have our stories of, you know, how we kind of got into calling races. What's yours? Uh, How did you get involved with uh, calling the races? Mine is uh, my parents took me to the track when I was six years old at Belmont Park. And I just fell in love with it. And the announcing was my favorite part of it. The announcer at that time being Dave Johnson. And uh, I spent the entire drive home announcing every car, you know, race you could make up on the road. And uh, I just decided that's really what I loved. And then they came out with this little uh, funny game where these fake horses would run around a little track. It would look very antiquated now. But I used to uh, sit and announce those races for hours. Uh, then when they started on, uh, I, I was able to stay up enough to watch the Yonkers shows and the Roosevelt shows. I would turn down the sound for the race and announce it instead. I just always enjoyed it and uh, managed when I got to college to sort of convince uh, the people at the Meadows who were opening this little secondary track Lakeshore Meadows to give me a shot up there. And I uh, announced their first two years, actually their only two years. So that was uh, a really a just I always loved it. Visiting with Peter Klein, hands announcer and musician, along with horse owner and uh, amateur driver. Pete, let's talk a little bit about uh, what's been going on the last couple of months or so. Not only are you into the music, but you've been uh, doing some backup announcing as well. We can hear your voice every once in a while at Yonkers. And, of course, a couple of weeks ago, probably closer to a month ago, you had a chance to announce at the Meadowlands. Did you talk about a tale of two different worlds as far as announcing goes? You're announcing at Yonkers, which is a a half-mile track. And then, of course, you got the big track at the Meadows. How do you kind of make that adjustment, especially when you're not doing it every day? That's that's kind of got to be tough with the you know the difference of the two tracks and size and so forth. You know, honestly, I don't really think about it that much because I've you know I, I love to bet too. So I've watched so many races in my lifetime that you know Yonkers and Meadowlands that every point on those tracks I have seared into my brain. So uh, you know, even though they're they're different styles of racing, I don't find one or the other. Uh, better or worse or easier or harder. I do think that a a long stretch such as the Meadowlands can make for a lot more action if you're getting horses, you know, that were locked in getting out and things like that. So, of course, I'd prefer to call a six-horse stretch drive at the Meadowlands where there's six across the track, and that's less likely to happen at Yonkers. But I I love both tracks, and uh, it's also, you know, you just get used to it. The Meadowlands didn't feel like any big deal, even though I'd been looking forward to it forever. Once I got out there, it just felt like any other track to once to when you're, once you're calling. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, you sounded fantastic. I mean, did you, you know, I've, and I've heard this from so many people about you know your great style. You got a very calm, descriptive way of calling the races. You know, really not over the top, but obviously you throw excitement in there when you know when you need to. And uh, I'll tell you what, I heard, I mean. From the Meadowlands, the, the Meadowlands, of course, you know, that's kind of the big racetrack. Heard so many positive things about your calling on that particular Saturday or Thursday, that particular Thursday. But let's get – all right, let's get in the real stuff here now. Music. We love music, man. I'll tell you what. I, I had a chance to listen to a couple of songs. And, uh, that's kind of like you're announcing. That's got a different, very unique sound as well. And you will be performing on February 7th. Once again, give everybody the particulars so we can stamp our ticket and see you there. 
It's at the bitter end on um, Bleecker Street in New York. Uh, just $10 at the door, 7 o'clock on uh, February 7th. All right. Sounds good. Well, Pete, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us, my friend. Best of luck in uh, your music and your announcing moving forward and your driving. Of course, we can't forget your uh, uh, driving still, uh, as you said, you're still competing on the amateur ranks. How's that like real quick? That's something I've always wanted to do, but just kind of never got around to it. Oh, it, it is great. And, uh, you know, it's a great group of people. The only real issue is they right now only have trots. They don't have a pace, so it limits the number of horses available got the same group of people all trying to, for the same horse everybody wants you know the 15 claimer who isn't <laughs> going to get claimed for 15 right it's, it's a tough thing to find but i really enjoy it it's a it's a little you know a lot of camaraderie and uh, i found that the meadowlands a lot of times those races get bet as well as the better races because there's a little more randomness involved with the drivers and I'll tell you what, one thing I know about being around a lot of these guys for a number of years is that uh, it's competitive, too. I mean, don't think that there isn't uh, the competitive yes. juices aren't flowing, because I'll tell you what, it, I don't want to say nasty, but it's competitive, put it that way. Yeah, when you're when you're racing against the same guys every week uh, and women and, uh, you know, they do something that annoys you, yeah, it, uh, people get fired up. Yeah, no question. Well, Pete, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us, buddy, and we'll look forward to seeing you February 7th. Great. Thank you so much for having me, having me on. Really, really appreciate it. All right, that was it. I think I cut him off. That was announcer Peter Kleinhand, of course, a fantastic musician as well. Make sure you visit his website, peterkleinhands.com. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk to the 2018 Caretaker of the Year, sponsored by our good friends at Northfield Park, Sheila Napier, plus Robin Burns and Bob Pandolfo, a busy edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the USGA, and we roll on after this timeout. Are you interested in learning more about owning standard bred racehorses? Do you want to experience the excitement of driving a standard bred? Owning a racehorse is a once-in-a-lifetime experience and not as difficult as you may think. The United States Trotting Association wants to help make your ownership dreams a reality. Contact a member of the Ownership Concierge team by email at owners at ustrotting.com or by calling 877-800-8782, extension 5555. Winback Farms welcomes three new stallions in 2019. New to New York, Boston Red Rocks, one of the 2015 Dan Patch Award for two-year-old pacing colts, and a Breeders' Crown champion. New to Pennsylvania, 34-time winner Heston Blue Chip, one of the Dan Patch Awards for three-year-old colt pacers and a Breeders' Crown champion. Also the sire of the second richest two-year-old Philly pacer of 2018, Zero Tolerance. And new to Ontario, my MVP, a proven sire of stakes winners, including Good Times Trot winner Wolfgang. For more information, go to winbackfarm.com. That's winbackfarm.com. You're tuned in to the Bet America Radio Network. Host Jason Bean brings you new shows every Monday through Friday. We bring you the best personalities from across the racing world with extensive interviews, commentary, news, games, and more. The barn is revolutionizing what horse racing radio can be. And you can hear new shows at BetAmerica.com or just search Bet America Radio Network on iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. Get in the barn. 
We're back on Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the USTA. Mike Bozich, along with Mike Carter. Lots left to come on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike. We are certainly appreciative of you joining us, as always. And right now, we are going to bring in the 2018 Caretaker of the Year uh, award winner, sponsored by Hard Rock, Rock Sino, Northfield Park, in conjunction with the United States Harness Riders Association. Sheila Napier joins us on the program. Sheila, welcome in. How are you this morning? I'm good. How are you guys? I'm fantastic. We are fantastic. And now, so you're currently down in Florida, right? Yes, I am. Spring Garden Ranch. All right. And how many horses right now are you taking care of? I know you told me in the message, but I know it's quite a few. Well, right now we have 25 down here. And between the six of us that are all down here, it's more a team effort thing right now. And, of course, you work for the Chris Beaver Stables. Tell us a little bit, uh, Sheila, about how you got started in the sport of harness racing. I was reading your bio a little bit, and uh, I know you uh, you were at the Delaware Equine Lab. That was back in the mid-'90s. But uh, tell us a little bit about how you got started in the sport and uh, kind of what led you to the harness racing. Well, I grew up in Delaware, so I always went to Will Brown Judd because we had that day off in school. So I always got to see those races, and they had an equine science lab at the career center, and I decided to go for it. And I worked with Joe Pollitt, and she was my advisor at the time. And uh, my first summer working, if I'm correct, I think it was for Frankie Todd Jr. And I graduated in 99, and I just haven't looked back. Now, Sheila, obviously, uh, two things here. Number one, I'm completely jealous of you that you're in Florida and not uh, up in up here with the two feet of snow that we've got. But um, you, you know, when you when you got the phone call that uh, that you were going to be named caretaker of the year, what did that mean to you? And was there was there any inkling uh, that you knew maybe you were going to be considered for it or any of that? Um, first of all, Chris told me he nominated me, but you know, a lot of people get nominated for it, and there's other people that have been in this business so much longer than I have and taken care of much better horses than I have. And, you know, like I said, he, he, he told me he was going to, and what the funny part was he was actually down here. He stays in Ohio for the winter, and he actually came down and he took the phone call, and we were in a different barn, and he came over and said, she would take this phone call. And as I was on the phone with him, I was – were surprised, and I said, you know, I'm just going to have to call you back. I'm in the middle of, I'm in the middle of working right now, and uh, he said that was fine, so I gave him a call back, but it was it was really surprising, but I had to finish my work first. <laughs> and that's of course, stems from your love of, love of horses, Sheila. As a matter of fact, let's yeah. uh, read a little bit about what Chris said about you in uh, the nomination letter. He says, uh, and this is good stuff, he says, Sheila takes on unrivaled pride in the condition of her horses. I can rest at ease when she has a horse racing. I know it will get on the road on time and will be wearing all the right equipment, even if I can't make it. Now, obviously, listen, these trainers and, of course, owners trust the trainers to, you know, I mean, they're they're racing. These horses are expensive. They're racing for good money now, and uh, there's a lot of trust, you know, involved in uh, in horses. And so it has to mean a lot to you that, you know, Chris obviously trusts you, but you know, it, it, that, that you meant so much to him as far as the uh, work goes that, 
you know he uh, he nominated you for this uh, for this award. That that has to that has to be a good feeling. Oh yes, it does, and and I feel trust is a huge thing in this business, not just with our, our bosses, other employees, but most definitely the horses too. Trust is a very big thing. Now, Sheila, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit, and uh, you know you, you you've taken care of a good amount of horses. You take care of some of the Ohio bred, some of the stakes caliber type horses. Is there any one or two horses maybe that kind of stick out in your head as kind of some of the most memorable that you've gotten to take care of? Well, of course, Big Bad John, winning the Little Brown Jug in 2011. He was a great little horse to take care of. And, oh, my, oh, my first Sire Stake final winner, Scooby Can 2, 2003. I absolutely love that little fellow. But then fast forward to the present, of course, we got Buckeye Boss, Custom Can Cab, Moonshiner Hanover, and one that I don't have at the moment, but I hope to get them back sometime soon, is Fraser Ridge. Fraser Ridge, I'm a horse, a very nice trotter. As a matter of fact, uh, yeah, he's been here at, Har- at Harris, Philadelphia, where I call out on a few occasions, and he always looks really, really good on the racetrack, kind of taking it to the top horses. Well, Sh- Sheila, listen, now, when you get down to Orlando, to uh, accept the award, and and I know this is kind of tough for a lot of people because it's kind of not their thing. But you know, you're going to have to get up there. You're going to have to make a speech, you know, uh, kind of uh, you know thanking everybody and all that. Now, is that is that kind of stuff make you nervous? Because I know a lot of caretakers, a lot of people that take care of the horses, they're they're kind of behind the scenes people. Yes, it does make me nervous. <laughs> but I think I've got a good idea on who. I'm going to think, and the best part is, is all the people that have helped me, they already know. I don't have to say their names. They know. Well, that's cool stuff, and it's always good to see, you know, people like you, people that work behind the scenes get their just due and their recognition. Well, listen, Sheila, we certainly appreciate you joining us. Best of luck to you in the future, and congratulations on your award. Good stuff. Thank you, guys. All right, that was Sheila Napier, and uh, you know that, that's that's the thing, Mike. You know, we we don't really talk to a whole lot of caretakers, and that, that's that's kind of our fault, honestly. We 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 have to do a better job of getting these people more in the spotlight and getting them involved because you know what, they are the ones, Mike that actually do a lot of the dirty work. They're back there with the horses day in and day out, week in and week out. And, uh, you know, they're the ones that feed them every morning that, you know, a lot of cases jog them that uh, kind of take care of them. And, and they know when it comes right down to it, especially with bigger trainers that have a lot of horses, it's the caretakers that know the horse the best. Yeah, definitely. I love this award. I love everything it stands for. It's, uh, you know, it's a special, special thing. I actually got to present this award last year um, to the to the winner. Um, I believe it was Steve Steve Williams, if I remember correctly, um, who mm-hmm. I got to present it to last year. And I tell you, you know, just seeing the smile and the appreciation on these people's faces, it's just an incredible, incredible feeling. So what? So so what's going on down in Orlando now? Every every time it seems like every year you take on more responsibility, you do a little bit more. <laughs> uh, so, so so what are we doing this year? What's can you let the cat out of the bag? I know there's got to be a couple of surprises. Um, I mean, there's really not. I mean, I'm a director for the uh, U.S. Harness Riders of Upstate New York. Um, I am on a couple of the uh, U.S. Harness Riders committees. Um, I help with the dinner and the journal and things, and uh, you know it, it's. 
you know, it, it's it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. I work with some great people with Kim Rinker, Sean Wiles, Moira Fanning, all those guys down there. Um, you know, it, it's just it's really, really fun, really, really a good time. You know what? I'll tell you what. You guys work hard. You really do. I mean, and, and I heard so many good things about the banquet last year. So many good things about I heard you the were facility. Coming. Huh? I heard you were coming this year. I'd love to get. Are you kidding me? I'd lo- I'd love to get done. I'm, I'm gonna have to. That's another thing on my bucket bucket list to get. Well, listen, if you if you could make it out to where maybe post time with Mike and Mike and win an award, then we'd have no choice to get down there. Listen, we uh, you know we started our award season last year with the breakthrough award, so you know maybe we'll keep it keep it rolling. I'm still working on my passport. For I was supposed to get it five years ago. I'm still working on it. Yeah, speaking of passports, you're going to need a passport this year. <laughs> yes, because, I know. Uh, Mike Carter is taking some time off. Uh, Mike Carter uh, is going to be getting married this year, and uh, you know uh, it, it's going to be one of those things, Mike, where uh, you'll have to travel to Canada. So uh, oh, we've got. Boy. We've got We've got our live remote schedule. Uh, we've got our live remote schedule coming. Um, we're ironing out the final details, kind of getting that stuff all set up and together. But what we can tell you, Mike, is that everybody who signed on last year is pretty much set up for this year. So we're going to uh, have a jam pack. Well, listen, we're going to have a jam packed remote schedule. This I will yeah. guarantee you. This is going to be our busiest year yet, and you know what? That's fantastic because we love it. I mean, we love going out there and meeting everybody, and uh, you know, promoting the sport of harness racing. It's going to be busy, Mike. It's going to be very busy. But yeah, listen, uh, you know, uh, just be. Hopefully, I, I don't get in too much trouble in Canada. Hopefully, I don't get detained <laughs> at the border. You know, that happened to me once. Well, yeah, I know it did. I, I you know, I heard about that. Uh, I heard you. Were- to bring across to you at peelers or something and they uh they they, they didn't like that too much so you know anyway well, but yeah we, listen, we, were, we were traveling with somebody that uh that one of my great great dear friends that it, you know here's too. the thing well listen here's the thing when you're crossing over the border okay you you know it's it, you want to give the border agent as much information because i mean listen they 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 do good work they're you know they're they're looking out for the for the best interest of everybody. I mean they you know they don't. I mean especially this day and age, you know they don't want anybody, you know going into Canada or coming back from Canada that that means anybody any harm. But you, you don't you know you don't want to over uh, you don't want to overkill the agents. You don't want to give them you know if you if you give them like too much information, then it's I I think they perceive that as you're trying to. You know, you talk your way out of something or something because we we had a a friend who actually was born in Canada, had naturalization papers, but then was a citizen of the U.S. and lived in the U.S. pretty much all of his life. And uh, we were heading up, we were actually cutting through Canada, and we were going to the uh, New York the the Goshen Awards that John Manzi hosts. And uh, it was at a hotel in the Catskills, and we instead of swinging down Ohio way, we actually it would be. You know, it would be a lot shorter if you just cut through Canada there, and uh, you know, and then we were going to stop at Woodbine. So instead of just telling the the border agents that we were just going to go to Woodbine for, you know, some racing action and casino or whatever, he's got to tell them the whole story about how we're cutting through and and we're, we're going to this award and we're going to the. He's got his naturalization papers and this and that, and uh, it just it, basically instead of sending us on our way, he said, "Pull over to the right." It's all of a sudden, next thing I know, here comes all the hounds and the sniff hounds and everything else. And we were there. We were there for hours. Oh my gosh! 
Did they let you in? That's the key question. Well, they let me. They let us in, but I mean, all we had to do was say we were going to Woodbine, and then it would have been over. You know, I mean, I've been well, back and forth to Windsor before. And all you get to do is say, "Oh, you're going to Windsor for racing." Okay, you know. But uh, anyway, you know, just one so of those things, man. That's your, I'm sure that's your border you. story, and you're sticking to it. Everybody's got a good border crossing story. I'm sure everybody that goes back and forth to Canada's got a good uh, got a good border crossing story. And you're, Go ahead. It's funny. It's funny though you say that because um, and while we got a couple of minutes to kill here, the, when we came back from Western Fair, Kate and I were coming back from Western Fair last year. Uh, we were doing the Camelot Classic. They kick off our uh, season each year. We were coming back, and you know, you, you know, when you get to the border, there's like that no man's land zone, like right in the middle between the stop sign and the um, and the actual building where you get to the border. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Somebody in the lane next to me. Decided it would be a good idea to pull into that no man zone while there was another car sitting at the building, and mm. I thought this agent was going to lose his mind. It mm-hmm. was so funny because the lady who was talking to us said, "What's your, what's, what's your citizenship?" She heard what was going on. She turned around, and now mind you, I answered the question. She turned around, saw what was going on, come back, and she said, "I'm sorry, what did you say?" Yeah, <laughs> you could just tell yeah. she was taken aback by it too. Well, they have to be vigilant and and listen. I mean, you know, they 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 they're obviously you know trying to do the job to the best of their ability. So I I never really have an issue with them. But uh, you know, I mean, you just you, you know you, you if you got to be honest to them to a point, but you just can't overload them with information because then I think it seems like to them that you're up to something. So right, at least that's what I get out of it. Note to anyway, self, we still be got honest, uh, but don't be too honest. Exactly. We got uh, more left to come on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the USTA. Get your notebooks and pens out, because towards the bottom of the hour, Bob Pandolfo is going to grace us with his handicapping expertise. Plus, Robin Burns is up next. Can't wait for this interview. You've got uh, so so certainly stick around. You've got Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America, the USTA. At BetAmerica, we don't do promotions only for new players. As a regular player at BetAmerica.com, you can take advantage of several promotions each week. Go to BetAmerica.com slash extra and visit our promotions calendar and find out how you can get double wager reward points on our featured tracks. It's just another reason why it's time to play the BetAmerica way. Harness Horse Youth Foundation has the power to bring a life-changing experience to any child. We introduce youth to the horses and skills that build confidence, friendships, and a lifelong love of harness racing. The Harness Horse Youth Foundation has been a positive influence in the lives of thousands of young people since 1976. Check out the complete list of Harness Horse Youth Foundation camps and activities at hhyf.org. That's hhyf.org. Are you a student looking to log volunteer hours or just someone interested in spending free time giving back in your local community? Pacing for the Cure could use your help. We need volunteers at local events to help with fundraising and to assist with the annual dinner party planning activities. Please email Janine at pacingforthecure.org for more information. Again, that's Janine at pacingforthecure.org. Mike? 
Pacing for the Cure annual sponsorship opportunities are available on the pacingforthecure.org website under the Donor tab. Choose your sponsorship level or customize your own sponsorship package. This is a great time to reserve a table sponsorship at the annual Pacing for the Cure fundraising dinner party in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania in November. As always, there will be great food, entertainment, and prizes at the annual event. Visit pacingforthecure.org. Winback Farms welcomes three new stallions in 2019. New to New York, Boston Red Rocks, one of the 2015 Dan Patch Award for two-year-old pacing colts, and a Breeders' Crown champion. New to Pennsylvania, 34-time winner Heston Blue Chip, one of the Dan Patch Awards for three-year-old colt pacers, and a Breeders' Crown champion. Also the sire of the second richest two-year-old Philly pacer of 2018, Zero Tolerance, and new to Ontario, my MVP, a proven sire of stakes winners, including Good Times Trot winner Wolfgang. For more information, go to winbackfarm.com. That's winbackfarm.com. Are you interested in learning more about owning standard bred racehorses? Do you want to experience the excitement of driving a standard bred? Owning a racehorse is a once in a lifetime experience and not as difficult as you may think. The United States Trotting Association wants to help make your ownership dreams a reality. Contact a member of the Ownership Concierge team by email at owners at ustrotting.com or by calling 877-800-8782, extension 5555. This edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike presented by the United States Trotting Association and Bet America. Mike Carter alongside of Mike Bozich. And Mike, I'll tell you, this is the interview I know me and you both have been waiting on all morning long. And I'm interested to hear what uh, Robin Burns has to say about his career. And, Mike, he's got a horse. Uh, he's got a horse that's named after him in Robbie Burns. Tell you what, uh, Robin is one of my all-time favorite voices in the sport of harness racing, as well as thoroughbred racing. Now applying his craft at the Press Isle, but uh, and last week or might have been the week before, time slips away from. Me. I think it was last weekend where uh, he got to call a race at Cal Expo, was nominated to the California uh, Racing Hall of Fame. So certainly going to talk to him about that. And without further ado, let's bring in one of my all-time favorite voices in the sport of horse racing let's put it that way robin burns robin how are you buddy gentlemen good morning and thank you for that build up i can't stand it yeah i'll tell you what it's funny because mike and i were just talking we were talking a little bit after peter klein hands about uh announcers kind of like myself i believe and and quite a few others that you know when you talk to them in person they sound nothing like they sound over the mic. Well, I got to tell you, that is not the case with you, buddy. You sound exactly like you do when you're announcing, when you're, when you're having a regular conversation. And uh, that's beautiful, my friend. Beautiful. How are we this morning? Uh, we're doing fantastic. Mike and Mike, I have to tell you, I hear that now so often that my voice has not changed since day one when I first started to call races in 1973. Now we're through 2018. I have the fortunate experience of going back and doing a thoroughbred last uh, summer at Prescott Downs in Erie 
and what a pleasure it was to go back there and work for some just genuinely really nice people at Presque Isle Downs. Now, Robin, how on earth did you get into the sport of racing in general, and how in, how did you become uh, infiltrated with announcing? And all of us announcers kind of have our story. Uh, what's yours? Well, my story is very similar to Pete Kleinhans. Uh, there were a lot of tracks, both on the American side and the Canadian side. I was born and raised in Niagara Falls, New York. So there was Buffalo, Batavia, there was Finger Lakes. And then on the Canadian side, there was Fort Erie, uh, some harness tracks that were Greenwood in Toronto, Mohawk, and Garden City. And Garden City in St. Catherine was really only about a 17-minute drive from the house in Niagara Falls, New York, and really just got enamored with uh, the track announcer there, Jack Stevens. He was a disc jockey during the day in St. Catharines, and he called the races at night, and he was just phenomenal. And I knew after the first couple of times that I heard Jack Stevens that I wanted to become a track announcer. Well, and, you know, listen, I think the racing world is very happy that you've done so. And, and you know what? You've announced at uh, several different racetracks. Tell us about uh, some maybe of your more memorable memories. Memorable memories. There you go. It's a good name for a horse. Tell us about some of those memories that uh, you've kind of uh, uh, gathered up throughout your announcing career. Well, I went to uh, the University of Miami to play golf, and I did everything there except play golf and really kind of infuriated everybody from the golf coach to my parents. And I came home after college and I was doing everything except work, playing cards for money, bowling for money, playing golf for money and going to the track. And finally, my mother said to me, uh, Robin, you have three months to get a job or else you're going to evacuate the house. So that was kind of a, a wake up call for me. Um, I'll never forget the morning that I was, um, playing golf with my dad. And I said, dad, I said, I'm going to take a shot and doing something. He goes, what's that? And I said, I want to become a track announcer. He goes, what? I said, yeah. I said, I've kind of been dabbling in tapes. You know, I would make up calls or races. I'm at our local watering hole in Niagara Falls, the hitching post. And I would charge everybody $5. I would call a race. There'd be eight horses in it. Uh, 25 of the winner, $10 for second and $5 for myself. So I would do about eight or ten races a night. And really, um, I got to be pretty good at it. In fact, a friend of mine, Jack O'Donnell, says, Robin, as long as you do that, you will never have to worry about making a three-foot putt. So I called (laughs) Gaston Valley Cats at Buffalo Raceway. And I said, Gaston, I said, "Uh, I'm a regular patron at the uh, track. I said, I want to become a track announcer. I said, I have some makeup calls. And I said, would you be interested in hearing my tape? And he goes, no. And I said, oh, come on. I said, give me a shot. He goes, are you the big guy who's here every single night? I said, yes, I am, as a matter of fact. He goes, all right. He goes, bring your tape up here on Wednesday, and I'll have some people listen to it. So we drive up to Buffalo Raceway. I played my cassette tapes for him. He sends everybody out of his office, and he goes, okay, you can start on Saturday. So it was a Saturday <laughs> afternoon matinee. Yeah, this is, this is the, the honest to God version. There's no kidding with this one. So it was a Saturday afternoon card, and I called the fourth race, and I came back downstairs into the clubhouse where we were having lunch and literally, without being self-serving, got a standing ovation. Wow. So I went from from calling Buffalo for free. Gaston did not pay me because he goes in this very thick 
French-Canadian accent. He goes, I am not paying you because I know you are going to be here every single night. I said, hey, I said, that's a fair trade-off. So I went from Buffalo to Pocono to Wheeling Downs, which had, which had harness racing back in 1973, to Louisville Downs, where I met Gary Buxton. And uh, a gentleman at Wheeling told me, he goes, when you meet Gary Buxton, the first thing you tell him is, you want to go to Hollywood Park. So I met Gary Buxton at the Holiday Inn. I said, Mr. Buxton, I want to go to Hollywood Park. He goes, whoa. He goes, not so fast, my friend. So I called opening night at uh, Louisville Downs in 1974. Mm. And he goes, let me see what I can do for you at Hollywood Park. Now, at that point, Roy Shutt, the legendary announcer at Brandywine, had a contract that as long as Brandywine was open, that he had to announce there. So he gave up Hollywood Park for Brandywine, and I slid right in there in 1974 and worked for some great people there, Press Genuine, the Shapiro family, and uh, I was well on my way in 1974. It's funny, Robin, that you mentioned uh, Gaston, because when I was at Buffalo Raceway, I only spent a couple of years there, I heard some funny stories uh, from some of the mutual clerks about uh, Gaston. And, uh, you know, one thing we kind of share was the announcer's booth at Buffalo Raceway. And I'll tell you, it, it was one of the hardest places I've ever had to call races. Absolutely horrible. It's almost as bad as the Cal Expo. And I said that lovingly last week in my uh, induction ceremony speech to the CHHA. Uh, Buffalo, I think I stepped it off one day. It was around 70 yards left of the finish line. So when they went by you, there was still a lot of action that was going to happen. And you just kind of had to take your best shot in trying to call the winner. But you're right, Mike. It was a very difficult booth from which to call. So let's let's move on, Robin. Let's uh, kind of move on to the uh, well to the '80s and '90s. Uh, once again, you announced it, uh, numerous racetracks. Uh, what were so, so like through the '90s, through the early 2000s? Uh, what was going on in the in the life and workplace of Robin Burns? Well, that was kind of a mishmash. Uh, that tracking just a shade. I went to Hong Kong and Macau in 1983. I was uh, over there as a consultant to the Chinese on their racetrack in, uh, in Macau. And then I came back and I got a job um, at the Meadowlands. I was the, really the backup to uh, John Bothy. Tom Durkin left to do Hialeah. So I was also the host of racing from the Meadowlands. I would do the first two races, uh, waiting for John Bothy to come back from Freehold. Then I would do the last couple to give him a chance to get out of there uh, I then out of there, I got the job at Free State Raceway with the late Frank DeFrancis. So I called Free State. He took over Laurel and Pimlico. I transitioned into doing the thoroughbreds where I had a, a great time in Maryland calling the thoroughbreds and a lot of big races back there. Then I left the thoroughbreds. I went to Rosecroft, still in Maryland. Then out of there, Los Alamitas in California opened back up. I went back out there as a director of racing and uh, announcer. And really, uh, all over the place, uh, 2000s, I was at Scioto Downs, late 1990s, I was at Scioto Downs. I left Scioto to help launch TVG. I was the director of simulcasting and traffic. I decided through contract obligation what races went on TV. Uh, my position 
at TVG, was kind of downsized a little bit, and went back to Buffalo for one final hurrah, and I just didn't like the winners in Buffalo. So then out of that, I kind of retired from racing, and I got into the golf industry. I'm now the caddy manager at Bay Hill Arnold Palmer's Club in Orlando, and got a call last March asking me, can I still do it? And I said, we are talking about racing, right? He goes, yes, as a matter of fact, we are. So, so I went to Prescott Downs, and I have to admit I was a little rusty because I hadn't called in about eight years. And you just fail to realize if you've been a, a track announcer and have done kind of harness racing exclusively how fast the thoroughbreds were. So I was a little rusty the first couple of nights, but after that I settled right in and looking forward to going back the middle of May this year. Fantastic. Well, listen, I, you know, I, I heard, uh, watch some races at Presque Island. Uh, you know what, in my opinion, you, you're as good as you were since, uh, since the early days. So, uh, I, you know what, it's like, Robin, you're kind of ageless in that respect, man. You just do a heck of a job and, and uh, we really love hearing you. Real quick, one final question before we let you go, and you kind of touched on that when you were talking about Prescott, the, the, the thoroughbreds versus the harness, some of the different, you know, announcing techniques that you have to use with the different breeds. What are they in, as far as uh, as far as you go? What's some of the big differences? Uh, number one, Cardinal Sin, when you're doing a thoroughbreds, uh, you have to go through the entire field. Uh, the jockeys are wearing the owner's, Silks, so you might have a, a rider like Pablo Morales. He's going to ride six or seven races a night wearing different silks in every race. And going back to the harness, you just can never say the word run. When I was at mm-hmm. TVG, we had some uh, novice broadcasters there, and they were not uh, very well versed in the nuances of harness racing, and I, I was kind of a mentor to them. But I have to tell you one story about going to Canada. My mother told me under no circumstance could I use her car to go to the track. So she goes, are you going to the track tonight? I said, well, I'm not going to go to Buffalo or Batavia. And she goes, well, good. So I end up taking her car going across the Lewiston-Queenston Bridge to Garden City. <laughs> so I get pulled over. You're not going to lose I get pulled over by immigration in Canada, they said, open the trunk. Mm. I did not have the trunk key to my mother's car. Oh. So I had to go in and they dialed from St. Catherine's over to my mother's house saying that I was being detained at immigration and I need her to bring the trunk key over the bridge into Canada. Needless to say, I was on double secret probation the rest of the summer. That's one of my one of my favorite stories of all time that I think yeah. I just told for the first time in public. Wow. Well, you know what? You're still grounded. You're probably still grounded to this day from that one. Well, listen, Robin, it was a pleasure talking to you. Great stories, great times. We'll have to certainly get you back on real soon, buddy. Best of luck to you at Prescott. We can't wait to hear your voice again. You guys are awesome, and thank you so much for the invitation, and thanks to all your listeners for this great show every week. All right. Take care, Robin. Bye, guys. Good stuff there, Mike Carter. Wow. Yeah, for sure. I didn't even know he knew who we were. That's, <laughs> what does that tell you? 
Well, I'll tell you what, it's just some great stories there. He's, you know, that's one of those uh, interviews, Mike, where, you know, I mean, he's been around, he's, he's done it all, he's seen it all. That could probably take up the whole show, actually. You know, that might be a year in review moment there. No question. When we come back, we're going to, uh, well, we're going to get our pencil sharpened and our, uh, Make sure I got my pens and uh, get your notebooks in front of you because we're going to get some handicapping tips from one of the uh, greatest harness handicappers that ever lived, Bob Pandolfo. That and much more coming up on Post Time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America. Don't go anywhere. Are you interested in learning more about owning standard bred racehorses? Do you want to experience the excitement of driving a standard bred? Owning a racehorse is a once-in-a-lifetime experience and not as difficult as you may think. The United States Trotting Association wants to help make your ownership dreams a reality. Contact a member of the Ownership Concierge team by email at owners at ustrotting.com or by calling 877-800-8782, extension 5555. At BetAmerica, we don't do promotions only for new players. As a regular player at BetAmerica.com, you can take advantage of several promotions each week. Go to BetAmerica.com slash extra and visit our promotions calendar and find out how you can get double wager reward points on our featured tracks. It's just another reason why it's time to play the BetAmerica way. We're back on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by the United States Trotting Association and uh, Bet America. Mike Carter, alongside of Mike Bozich, live from the USTA studios in Columbus. And Mike, I tell you, Pandy's picks each and every week. If you don't check them out, you need to. You're missing out on a whole lot of value. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, in my opinion, Bob Pandolfo is uh, one of the greatest harness handicappers that's ever lived, and he's uh, you know he's he's got a lot of books out there, and uh, you can certainly get them at Amazon. And without further ado, let's bring in Bob Pandolfo. Bob, how are you, buddy? Good. Thanks for having me on. No question Thanks about for, it. That listen, I've, <laughs> got right, I've got my notes right. I've got my pens ready, and I've got my notebook right here, so it's going to be full by the time this conversation is done with you. Let me tell you. <laughs> Thank you. Let's get to it. Uh, you've uh, come out with quite a few books in uh, harness handicapping. Um, what are some of the things – and this is the question I want to lead off with because I think this is very, very important. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about your personal career and how you got involved in this and that. But I want to lead off with this question because I think it's of utmost importance because I think harness handicapping, ha- in my opinion, has changed so much over the course of the years. And I think the style that you have to take, you have to adjust kind of like anything else. What are what are some of the big things, in your opinion, that have changed between handicapping harness, say, 15, 20 years, maybe even 10 years ago, to the way the, the game should be approached now? Uh, the biggest change is that uh, the levers win uh, more often. You know, when I first kind of made a name for myself uh, at Roosevelt and Yonkers in, in New York, uh, basically you had to look for horses that had stamina in class. You know, it... it the horses that finished well were the horses that won. And same thing in the early days of the Meadowlands. So you really had to have that kind of uh, follow the circuit close enough where you knew which horses had that inherent class. Now um, it's tactical speed is so much more important. So uh, you have to kind of make sure that any horse that you bet 
Well, on half mile tracks and five inch tracks in particular, you have to make sure that you know your horse is going to be close to the pace. Either he's going to leave or he's going to be able to go first over. So that's the biggest difference. Now, Bob, obviously, you know, we, every day we see gamblers, you know, they, you know, they find themselves in predicaments where, you know, they make mistakes and it costs them, you know, maybe hundreds or thousands of dollars. What is one of the single biggest mistakes that you see made on a regular basis? Well, the biggest mistake is betting on favorites that are bad favorites. Uh, you know, harness racing, the, the percentage of winning favorites is up at most tracks. Um, so, it's easy to get sucked into betting some of these favorites that really are bad favorites. Uh, and, and there were always bad favorites. So, you know, when I first started Roosevelt and Yonkers, people may probably don't, you know, you have to be pretty old to remember this, but the favorites only won 34% of the time at most harness tracks, which is about, which is the same as thoroughbreds. Now, a lot of the harness tracks have 40%, 42%. You know, it can go as high as 48%. So you kind of get fooled into thinking that, you know, you can back the favorites, but a lot of the favorites are still really bad bets. Um, and, you know, some of these tracks I noticed, for instance, even uh, this winter, you usually get better prices in the winter. And some of the tracks, there's been a lot of big long shots coming in, like the Meadows, uh, for instance, has had, you know, big bombs coming in. The Meadowlands, of course, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of the two-turn tracks. So, uh, like during the winter, Miami Valley, and so, you know, you want to try to figure out how to get those horses and you want to stay away from the two to five shots. You know, Bob, it seems like to me as, uh, as we go on and, and obviously the pools have, you know, have, have gotten smaller certainly over the years. And, uh, you know, if you focus in on the wind pool, it seems like um, even though the percentage of favorites winning have gone up, it seems like at least just from the naked eye, and obviously you'd know more about this than I would, but it just seems like that there are more, you know, two to fives, three to fives, four to fives, a lot more very short favorites. And of course, when you have that scenario, then, you know, your horses that may, you know, 20 years ago when you had real big pulls, the horses that may have been four or five to one are now sitting at nine, 10, 11 to one, or even higher. Is that kind of a correct assessment? Yes. Yes. In fact, there's horses that win now and pay like forty, fifty dollars. Uh, that uh, you know, years ago would have been ten to one, but so much money is being poured in on the two to five favorite. You know that. Yeah, you're right. It, it completely throws off the odds on the other horses. And so, and if you can really figure out which one of these really heavy favorites is uh, uh, vulnerable, you can get some really good value. You can even box a few horses in exactors or trifectas. You know, there's some good payoffs. Now, Bob, you mentioned earlier that, you know, kind of back in the early days, you kind of had to know the horses and you had to kind of know the back class. How important is watching replays now to kind of figure out who's got that back class? Um, I, I think it's important. Now, it, it it depends a lot on the track. Like like the Meadowlands, I watch a lot of replays. You know, the, with the tracks that have the longer stretches and don't have an open rail, you really have pathway to see who's getting boxed in and shuffled, you know, on some of the smaller tracks, uh, you know, like, like the five H tracks and half mile tracks, the, um, especially if they have an open rail, it's a little bit less um, important, um, but you could still get some good payoffs on trip horses. Uh, that, you just got to be careful because one thing I did notice, I do notice now uh, as compared to years ago, like, like years ago, I would keep a list of horses to watch. 
And if I really liked the way a horse raced, I'd bet him the next week, regardless of where he was. I didn't care what post he had or anything. Now you have to be careful. You know, you, you don't want to bet the, the bad post, um, and you don't want to bet horses that you know, are in a – like, for instance, say you have a horse who gets blocked, and he's full of pace, and he comes back the next week on a half-mile track, and he has post seven, and he's a closer. But you, you just can't bet that horse. You know, I don't care how sharp he is. You can't. You can't. If you bet post seven, you bet closes from post seven, eight, or even six and a half mile track, you're going to get killed. So you still have to use your head. You can't just, you know, make a list of horses to watch that got tough trips. But it can be very helpful, you know, if you, uh, you know, use some logic along with it. Visiting with uh, Harness Handicapper Bob Pandolfo and Thoroughbred Handicapper as well. Bob, tell us, uh, let's talk a little bit about yourself and in, in, uh, your career a little bit. Now, I know you've written, you know, several books uh, on both Harness and Thoroughbreds. Um, and, you know, you've got websites and uh, the diamond system is, is kind of uh, legendary, so to speak, in harness racing handicapping. Tell us about a little bit about your career, maybe how you got started and, uh, you know, what kind of fascinated you to, to uh, handicapping. Well, I lived uh, about 10 miles away, about 10-minute drive away from, Har- from uh, Roosevelt Raceway on Long Island. And so when I was 17 years old, I started playing the trotters. And a lot of people played the trotters. I mean, it was – where I lived, it was very, very popular, you know. First time I went to the track on a Saturday night, there were 20,000 people there, and, and that was just a regular night. Um, so I was working in a bowling alley, and people were playing – the guys I worked with were playing the trotters, so I started, you know, getting into it. But it took me about three years, um, and after about three years, all of a sudden, I had an epiphany where I was just, I just all of a sudden became really an outstanding handicapper, especially at Roosevelt and Yonkers. And then Sportseye hired me. Sportseye, you know, people don't, aren't familiar with that. that uh, it's owned by uh, the Daily Racing Form now. It's called DRF Harness. But years ago, it was a newspaper that was on a newsstand. It's called Sportside. And any serious harness player in New York, uh, New Jersey, Connecticut uh, would buy that almost every day, you know, any day you went to the track. So I started writing for them, handicapping for them, and I developed a reputation because I was picking a lot of long shots and showing a profit like in my best bets. Um, and that's, you know, so I went into business in 1981. I left the paper and I started coming out with my own tip sheets and things like that. I had a tip sheet that was sold at Aqueduct and um, – and on newsstands, like over 200 newsstands for about 17 years, and I still do selections for another tip sheet called Clark Lawton uh, that's sold in uh, the thoroughbred tracks. So, so yeah, it was uh, it was fun. Back in sports, I uh, I worked in the office for five years, and I still write for them. But we had a lot of young guys uh, who were into harness racing. We had a lot of fun. Now, Bob, obviously there are a lot of things, thoroughbred and harness, that could change and kind of help ourselves market and be better towards the gamblers. What's one thing um, that maybe you could pick out that you would like to see changed in either harness or thoroughbred racing? Well, everybody who reads my, who reads my columns know that, you know, I like the old bikes. Um, the, the races are too fast, and the problem is, is that, you know, with, you go these wicked third quarters and it hurts the flow. So, you know, you don't have – the biggest thing that's missing in harness racing is that, you know, years ago, um, like you take a track like Yonkers, for instance. Yonkers has a short stretch. So drivers, when you go back to like the wood bike days, they would have to go three wide at the three quarters because they couldn't wait for the stretch. So it was very exciting. I mean, you had Herve Tillion and Carmen Abatello and these great drivers, Buddy uh, Gilmore, and they would, you know, just – blast three wide and sometimes you'd have like three or four horses 
down the backs just roaring, you know, wide. And you'd have horses winning from third over, fourth over, you know, even at Yonkers. And that was very exciting. You can't do that anymore because the third quarters are too fast, so the horses can't even catch up. Plus, with the bikes they use now, and I've shown this, um, I actually have a, a graphics that show that, you know, in the wood bike, the driver sat basically almost touching the horse. And, of course, they they were uh, straight up in the bike. They didn't lean back. Now the driver is actually a few feet away from the horse with these bikes, and they lean back. So when you take that extra few feet and extrapolate it out from the leader to the horses in the rear, they have an extra, like, 20, 30 feet, to, to, <laughs> depending on how many you know, gaffers there are. And so they have a lot more ground to make up, and that's why you don't see horses winning from far off the pace anymore. So, you know, essentially the sport made a mistake by switching to steel bikes and then the evolution of the circuit kept getting faster and faster and longer. And then the driver started leaning back. So it, it was just uh, something that, you know, nobody ever rectified and it was just a mistake. And so um, if you're, you know, handicapping and betting harness racing now, though, you have to take that in consideration. It's still a lot of fun to watch the races and bet, but you have to, you know, make sure that you're playing horses that are going to be on, you know, close to the lead. Bob Bandalpo joining us here on Post Time with Mike and Mike. Bob, one final question before we let you go. Uh, maybe uh, not so much of the novice handi- handicapper, maybe the intermediate uh, handicapper. Uh, and I know there's no silver bullet in racing. I mean, I know that as far as picking winners and, and winning money, there's a lot of different factors involved. But if you had to give one or two things, one or two pieces of advice to maybe the intermediate handicapper to make him or her a little bit of a better player, a little bit more uh, profitable at the windows. What would that advice be? Well, if you're playing a track, especially a track that, you know, know, it's not dominated by favorites. And really, I mean, this really goes for all the tracks. You have to concentrate a lot on the horses that appear to be more of the marginal contenders. You know, one of the – I mean, this is what I, the way I look at a race. I don't, you know, naturally I stop and I say, okay, well, this just looks like the horse to beat, you know, the favorite, whatever. And, but then you have to think outside the box a little bit. You've got to start looking at the horses that appear to be a couple of lanes slower than the favorite because they're going to win plenty of races and they're going to pay really good prices. So the problem is, is that people look at a horse that's been finishing third and fourth, losing by two or three lanes, and they think, ah, oh, you know, this horse, you know, he's just, he just kind of go, goes evenly and everything. But, you know, what happens is sometimes they get into a little better flow. You know, maybe there's a little more speed in the race to set them up a little bit. They have better post. Maybe they're just dropping a little bit in class. Sometimes it's a little sneaky drop. So these mar- kind of marginal contenders, the ones that you might rank third or fourth or even fifth, depending on how competitive the race is, those are the best bets, actually, most of the time, because they're the ones that are going off like eight to one, ten to one, and, and and they're a little better than people think because it's a horse race. So the favorites, part, you know, a lot of times get tough trips. The drivers tend to overdrive the favorites because you know if you have a seven to five shot and you're a harness driver, you can't just sit in because the, the the fans will you know crucify you if you get boxed in. Yeah. So. You know, so you have to go out there, and the drivers drive really aggressively, and they use the favorites really hard. And that's a lot of times, that's one of the reasons why a lot of times the marginal contenders or the, you know, the, the horses that you might rank third or fourth, you know, get up and win. And those are the horses that you actually be concentrating on. Pick out your first like three or four contenders, and 
try to find the ones that are, that you pick third or fourth. Like even if you look at my selections, for instance, on the Meadowlands, you'll see that a lot of my third and fourth picks win and pay huge prices. So even I get fooled, you know, into thinking that they're, you know, they're not as good. Um, so that's what you got to do. You got to think outside the box a little bit and look for value. Yeah, good stuff. And then, of course, then we get into structuring our wagers and, and uh, you know, structuring, especially pick threes, pick fours, and pick fives. I think, you know, that's obviously important. A lot of times it's not even who you bet. It's just kind of, uh, you know, how you structure the tickets, how you kind of, you know, mix and match the contenders. And, you know, obviously that could uh, be the difference between a, a big ticket and a and a complete loser. But uh, real quick, and uh, I know we're kind of keeping you over, but structuring tickets, pick threes, pick fours, any, any kind of uh, quick advice on that? Well, it depends on the track. Now, like a track, like I, I do the uh, late pick four uh, for the United States Training Association because my, you know, my my Meadowlands picks are on the website. But then I tell people how I, you know, I think you should bet the pick four, and it's really the late pick four is brutal there. You know, at the Meadowlands, and they do that on purpose. They want they want to make it tough, so they put the toughest races there so they can get bigger pools and bigger payoffs. So, I mean, if the, the problem with, with playing a difficult pick four like that is if you're going in with 20 or $30, it's really tough. If, you know, if you're going to play it, you're probably going to have to spend at least a hundred dollars. And, and some of those races that are really wide open, you're going to have to spread like use six or seven horses. Yeah. So you want to try to find one or two horses in the races that look easier. And then in the races where it looks like anybody can win, you have to spread a little bit. So, you know, unfortunately, it depends on the track. Some of these half-mile tracks and 5-H tracks, you can get away with – you can hit the pick four with, you know, $20, $30 tickets. Um, but if you're playing the Meadowlands or Mohawk or, you know, uh, these tracks that are more wide open, um, you got to find a couple of races where you can narrow it down to one or two horses and then spread in at least one race that looks, you know, like a real uh, crapshoot. Yeah, no question. All right, so anybody that uh, you know maybe wants to uh, get some of your books or check you out on the web, where's uh, where's some of the best places we can go? Well, uh, handicappingwinners.com is my main website. Uh, that's thoroughbreds and harness, and then I have a website called trotpicks.com, which is dedicated to harness racing. And you know all of my stuff that I sell, the books and systems and my selections and everything, uh, they can find that in either handicappingwinners.com or trotpicks. Uh, dot com and there are reviews of my books on Amazon, so my stuff is sold on Amazon and it's also sold on my websites. And people want to read reviews, they can just go on Amazon, look at the reviews. Trot picks my honest book is uh, I think it has like thirteen or fourteen reviews, and every one of them is five stars. So that book was really um, very popular with honest fans. Very good. Well, if you want to improve your handicapping game, make sure uh, you check out uh, Bob Pandolfo's websites as well as his books. You can purchase them on Amazon. Listen, Bob, we certainly appreciate you joining us, buddy. Best of luck to you, and uh, keep killing them at the windows, my friend. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. All right. That was Bob Pandolfo. A lot of good stuff there, Mike. A lot of good information uh, that uh, Bob just gave us there as far as uh, handicapping goes. And that's the thing about racing, Mike. We, We want customers to win. Yeah, that's the key. I think a lot of people uh, forget is that the industry wants you to win because the churn continues to go. You continue to churn and you continue to put more money into the pools. I know when I'm up, I tend to win more or tend to put more into some things. 
than I would if I was losing. So, you know, the, the, the industry as a whole wants people to win, and that's, you know, something that I think people need to understand. All right. Well, listen, we had a very interesting show today, Mike. Some good guests. Uh, all four did a great job making their post time with Mike and Mike debut. And uh, I'll tell you what, we're like, what, three and a half years into this. So we have shows are very rare where all of our guests are making their first appearance. Yeah, that, that's for sure. I mean, you know, it's it's just one of those things. It's kind of a, one of those anomalies that, uh, you know, happens once in a while, and, but it makes it exciting. You know, we get some new blood on the show and kind of talk to some people and, uh, you know, have a little bit of fun with it. All right, Mike, where our show close is rolling, my friend. So if you want to take us home, take us to the next yeah, let's, week. Let's, let's take to do this so. thing home. Let's take <laughs> this thing home. Uh, you know, we're ready to put Mike Bozich back to work. Uh, he'll be in the Handicapper's Corner on Monday. I'll be back on Saturday. Make sure you join us next Thursday. First post is 10.30. Good night. Can't stay here I know